What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the BritLinks.com podcast. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the BritLinks.com podcast. Welcome to another BritFlix Fright Fest special. I'm Stuart Wright, and today I've got if you'd introduce yourself. My name's Oliver Frampton. Hello there. Hello, Oliver. Uh, what film are we coming here to talk about? So I'm going to be talking about The Forgotten. Um, it's one of the films that's playing on the Discovery screen at Fright Fest in August. Okay. Um, and I'm the writer-director. Uh, co-writer, I should say, and director. My co-writer <laughs> would kill me if I say that. <laughs> my, my, my review certainly picks out the pair of you, so your, your, your writing partner will be happy with that. Excellent, yeah, yeah, good. Um, so do you want to give us a brief synopsis? I'll do my best. Uh, yeah, it's um, so it's. Uh, I suppose you'd call it something a, a film, a horror film that starts as um, a, a more of a kind of kitchen sink uh, social drama, um, and gradually evolves into a supernatural drama. It's about a father and son squatting on an empty housing estate in the middle of London. Um, they've been evicted and they've had to move somewhere else. So they move into this estate, which is all but empty and about to be torn down, and. Tommy, who's a young lad of about 14, um, uh, starts to hear strange noises coming from the flat next door. And the film is about him investigating that. And during the process of that, he, he befriends a ballsy and street smart young lady who's a bit older than him um, called Carmen. And together they sort of unravel the mystery. It, and it's, it's a ghost story, essentially. It's an urban ghost story. OK. Now, I, I know the answer to this question, but I'll ask it because I'm asking everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, if 50-50 is equal parts scares to gross out and gore, what would be the uh, percentage ratio for scares and gore in uh, The Forgotten? And when you say 50-50, you mean compared to what sort of drama and... Well, in terms of on-screen time, are we we getting grossed out or are we going to get scared? Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Uh, Yeah, no, it's it's much more of a film about what goes bump in the night. It's, Mm. it's, um, It's a sort of slow burn chiller. So... The idea is that um, you start from a place of normality and then just gradually put on the tension, um, put on the pressure. Things get more and more unusual, strange things happen, you hear things, shadows are there, um, you catch things out the corner of your eye, um, and then we ratchet that up and really start delivering the scares towards the end. That was the plan. It was always supposed to be a kind of uh, a story that harps back to how it felt when you read um, kind of Classical ghost stories in literature like H.P. Lovecraft or Henry James, Ten of the Screw, or you know any of those sort of guys, um, uh, M.R. James, those sorts of things. So, sort of just the oddities of life and how you can gradually build up to a big, um, 
reveal of kinds. Are you familiar with the Johnny Kevorkian's The Disappeared? I am actually, yes, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I watched it. I think it was well before we we um, sort of started brainstorming the forgotten. Uh, tell a lie. No, I watched it. Uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, it was, it was probably like we were just having discussions about what kind of film we wanted it to be, and so we watched just kind of everything in that in that oeuvre. Yeah. <laughs> um, everything about families on estates. Um, social realism so lots of ken loach um lots of larry clark all those sorts of things um and um so yeah sorry i thought it was really good i think it's a really different film it's it's um it it's sort of uh it it's i don't know how to describe it it it, it it's structured very differently and it's trying to do something very different i think oh, without a doubt no i was I only say it because it, it 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 does something that's similar in the sense that it gives you that obvious British kitchen sink estate backdrop and yeah. then slowly turns it into things that got bumped in the night, a ghost story. I mean, they're the similarities, that's all I mean. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so where, when and where at Fright Fest can we see the movie? So it's on, on Friday the 22nd of August at 6.15pm in Good screen slot. three. Um, uh, there's still, uh, I think, a few tickets left, but it is, uh, it, I've been really, really surprised, actually, at how quickly they've gone. Um, I think there's kind of like a couple of rows left, and it's a 300-seat screen, so um, we're quite pleased, really. And I think you should be. I mean, I think that's one of the, one of the things about, about Fright Fest is that, you know, people get to see films on a big screen that ordinarily they might not get the opportunity to, and that makes it all the more exciting when there's such a smorgasbord of thing on offer. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've been to Fright Fest um, quite a few times um, as a punter and uh, just as like a, a huge fan of horror. And I've seen so many different kinds of movies and some of them are utterly bonkers and um, just really good fun because they have heads being lopped off and it's sort of borderline comedy. Hmm. And some are really interesting kind of dramas, really. They're, they're much closer to um, they, they sort of have one foot outside the genre. They're sort of straddling it. Um, oh, without a doubt. I think that's what's what's the exciting thing about the way that they program the festival. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not playing to out and out stereotype. I mean, there is there is those kind of you know harking back to what Sam Raimi might have done and things like that. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> which you know we all we all you know the older yeah. the older fans grew up on. But there is room in the genre for the, those kind of dark psychological dramas, which obviously is where you would you, know, you could be slotting your work into. Yeah, I know, and um, you know, our uh, our thinking was that um, we wanted to make it a really British film. So when we when we sort of really just got our thinking caps on about what the kind of film we wanted to make, it, um, it fairly quickly kind of formed itself into something that was going to straddle drama and horror. And drama is always a bit of a dirty word, I think, in filmmaking because it sort of tends to be considered a bit boring, but. Um, my co-writer James Hall and me were just such fans of character stories and I think some of our favourite movies have been um, uh, and TV shows have been just um, entirely character based and character f story from character rather than kind of the other way around um, so um, so we kind of knew we were going to go that way with it and then uh, you know we actually it was bizarre how the idea came out because um, both James and I worked on The Bill, the TV show together, um, okay. which was the ITV show before it um, got axed a, a little while ago. Yeah. And um, we, 
we knew that we wanted to write a film together and um, I had made short films before and uh, I was in a position to sort of really concentrate on making something for the first time. Um, and James was in a position where he was uh, able to devote some time to writing properly. And um, he said, oh, come with me, come with me, I want to show you something. And so we jumped on the tube and it was one evening and we went and had a beer and then we walked onto the Haygate estate in Elephant Castle. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's the most amazing place. I've not so yeah, it's, it's literally a stone's throw from the tube and you walk onto this estate and it's, um, I'm guessing probably like five or six acres. I don't want to exaggerate, but um, five or six acres, really, really big tower blocks that you can see from, from kind of miles around. Hmm. Um, and they're all empty, just completely empty. This huge, like, you know, obviously Elephant Castle is slap bang in the middle of town, yeah. across the river, and you've got five acres of empty housing. And we used to use it all the time when we were filming for the bill, because what we would do is walk on with our crews and um, populate it. So you'd have like extras walking around and, you know, cars have crashed or you could do car chases around because there's nobody there, yeah. all those sorts of things. We'd, so we would populate it. But sometimes we'd be filming there at night and you just stand in this empty estate and go, this is really, really creepy. And you'd see one little light on in a tower block where one family was just clinging on. They didn't want to be moved out. So the whole tower block had to stay up. They couldn't tear it down. Wow. And we just got thinking, why would somebody be in that situation? Why would they want to stay? And what sort of things would they experience, you know, in, in the middle of the night when they heard all those kind of empty flats groaning and creaking and stairwells with wind going through them and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So that was kind of the start for us, really. And, and how did that develop as a, as a kind of co-writing experience? How, how did you, the pair of you work together? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, as I say, I, I work in television and um, for a long time my job was a uh, script editor and I've since become a um, development producer. So my skills have always been kind of editorial and um, I know various different kind of writing duos and they all work really differently. Um, so there doesn't seem to be a right or wrong way. Um, some people sit in a room together and write and some people sit on the other side of the world and write and send it to each other. But me and James, what happened was we just spent a lot of time talking at the top end um, of the process because experience had kind of shown the decisions that you make early on are the hardest to undo when you start writing. So we just talked about things that interested us. Do, do you mean when you've written it down, it becomes a decision? Obviously, when you're talking, when, you can decide when, what you want. Yeah, when you, when you start committing to um, treatments and to, and to scripting, it's actually, you know, if you go you go into such a level, a level of detail on character and on... Um, uh, the thrust of a story and what the kind of feel of the mystery should be that it becomes very very difficult to unpick stuff without tearing it all up and just starting again I see what you mean, yeah. um, so no so we did a lot of talking um, up front about um, characters that we were interested in and what kind of people we thought would be living in a situation like this and also obviously films that we love things that we wanted to capture um, uh, I don't think it's a huge secret if you watch the film that both of us love The Shining mm. um, I think it sort of has some of that woven into its DNA. Uh, but also, you know, movies like The Haunting and um, The Innocents and mm. classic kind of old ghost stories, really, um, supernatural pictures where it's it's things that go bump in the night and the sound of creaking um, uh, that sets you on edge. Um, and what was, in, in when you started to commit it to paper then, when you, when you were happy with the kind of world you wanted to create and the, the characters that were going to occupy it, yeah. What were what were some of the um, the hard writing challenges in terms of resolving the story you wanted to tell? 
Well, it's, uh, I think the whole process of writing is really difficult. Um, I think <laughs> if, any, if anybody says otherwise, then they, they're sort of probably lying to themselves slightly or they're just um, incredibly gifted in a way that I'm not. But I think if you're trying to do something kind of that feels original and a bit different, then um, you, you just constantly try stuff out. So we, we treatmented a lot. Um, I think we, we did drafts and drafts and drafts of a treatment, which really benefited us because when we came to write, actually, we sort of knew the scenes uh, almost you know in our heads that, that, that before we'd written any dialogue mm. um, so yeah we, we treatmented a lot and then you know what how, I like how long would a treatment be I mean, uh, just... it start it starts off quite short and then it sort of grows and expands in different areas and hernias in certain directions <laughs> and blows out in others and you have to sort of end up doing surgery on it and sometimes you just step back and you go Do you know what um that that's just not interesting so that what 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 have we lost that we were talking about what what's the hook that the film's based on that, that somehow is getting buried beneath everything. So we treated a lot and then um, uh, showed the treatment to a couple of people that we trusted. Um, and that was the point uh, at which, um, well, it was sort of before then, but that was the point at which Jen and I, Jen Handoff, the producer, yeah. uh, started talking about it. And um, she looked at the treatment and said she really liked it and gave her notes. And, um, and then we revised that a bit and started working on the script. And then that's a whole other enjoyable process. Um, <laughs> And we had a we had an interesting situation. Um, uh, I was actually at the time of writing out of the country quite a bit because the TV production company that I work for, um, Ecos Films, were making a show in Ireland um, called Raw, which is about a, a restaurant in Dublin, if you want to know. And um, uh, and so I was out of the country quite a bit, and we would write ten pages each and do a kind of monster consequences version of the script, where you know you sort of fold down a page, write ten pages, fold down a page, and send it to the other person. And, uh, and hope that the picture you're going to get at the end of it sort of makes sense. But as I say, because we treatment so much um, and because we talked about it so much up the top end of the process, um, it all worked really well. And we, um, our first draft, which, you know, first drafts are always just first drafts and they need a lot of work, but our first draft was quite exciting. Mm. And, so, um, and so we carried on refining. And I think we did, you know, lots of things changed, lots of things changed in the process, but we probably did a good kind of, somewhere between seven and ten drafts of the script after that um yeah which was good it was actually it was a really enjoyable process i think and um, we were we were excited when we were writing it we knew it was going to be quite good fun to make um and we knew that um it was in the right kind of territory to be able to be made because it was quite domestic and um uh and you know could be done on a lower budget what, what, what do you feel were the benefits of co-writing as opposed to writing on your own uh, I think it's always really good to talk things out when you're writing. Um, uh, I've done it lots where I've tried to just get my head down and solve things, but actually you could do it so much quicker if you had somebody you trusted um, that you can just talk through the story. Because 90% of the time, if you can't talk about something in a convincing way, even if you're not pitching the story, even if you're not trying to kind of sell it, if it doesn't kind of make the hairs go up on the back of your neck, it's probably not going to work somehow and something's missing so That's you kind of yeah. cut straight through that and um yeah we yeah we did lots of talking and you know it's it's um in some ways it's it's not brain surgery it's kind of you, you're guided by instinct and what 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 sits right in your head and in your heart and um you just hope that it, it keeps exciting you and we were fortunate enough that it did <laughs> so when you uh, you kind of lock that as much as you can lock lock a script um, and you're building up your pre-production to, to shoot it now, and you've you've got this location sorted. What 
what were the... Uh, <laughs> sorry, go on. Kind of, yeah. All oh, right, go on. Tell me then. What was the what was the kind of pre pre production challenges then? The, the, the... Uh, there's, the, I mean, obviously, there's always challenges, isn't there? We um, we looked at one estate which we really liked, and we uh, tried to organise, but they had a blanket ban not to shoot anything there um, because they wanted to tear it down. So um, our um, second uh, estate that we found, which was another completely, I mean, honestly, an abandoned estate, so it's just empty, and they sort of threw some keys at us and said, yep, you can uh, go in and you can tear them apart and you can tear the wallpaper up and you can do whatever you like because they're all, they're all coming down in six months anyway, so don't worry. Um, we found the second, the second one and um, we, was, we were actually much more happy with it. Um, so it, it's one of those things where we were kind of blessed. I think it worked out really well in the end. Sorry, yeah, no, I, I, just, I misunderstood when we started the conversation. I thought with you talking about the elephant in castle, that was, mm. that was kind of, so that was your inspiration to say this kind of setting would be a great ghost story. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Okay. Now I get you. So then it's still. So there still was the problem then of finding a location to shoot the film, even though you've been yeah. inspired by one already that you'd been to. Yeah, and it's funny because Jen and I explored lots of different um, possible ways of doing it. That when I look back at it, I think would have been sort of a bit of a headache. Um, we thought about, um, uh, you know, in the film there are there are two, I suppose, two key um, sets which are adjacent to each other. And it's really important that you get a sense of that geography because um, uh, from Tommy's room, you need to be able to hear that there's something coming through the wall and then explore that room and understand that it's next to his room for various reasons. And um, so, so we, yeah, we thought about building a set and we talked about doubling up in other places or, you know, taking over a room in one of our houses or hiring a room that we would, you know, tear apart somehow. Um, but we were just really lucky that we, um, we, when we wreckied this place um, to have a, have a quick look around, uh, two of the keys that we had were adjacent flats and, um, and they were the perfect space for us. It was slightly unusual in that you kind of, um, I should say as well, but they were, they were really nice flats when we went into them, strangely. Even though they're abandoned, they're about to be torn down. They were quite, um, quite tidy, but they weren't by the time we finished with them. So um, <laughs> my, uh, my production designers, Chloe James and Caitlin Thompson, did um, such a good job of... Uh, making it look horrible and mouldy and uh, and not like somewhere you'd like to live. But yeah, they were, they were quite strange flats because you'd go in and you would, um, you'd expect to go upstairs to the bedrooms, but actually you'd go downstairs. And the minute I walked in there and the minute, you know, Jen and I kind of looked at each other and we said, this is brilliant because the bedroom's kind of the scary place in both flats. And you sort of, every time you go down there, um, there's no electricity in these places. So you're kind of holding electric torches going down the stairs into hell each time. It's just great. It just no, works no, out. I, really I well. mean, I, I picked that up. I, I obviously didn't go through the whole review here, but it, when I, when I reviewed the film, I thought that was one of the sort of masterstrokes of 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 there being no electricity in the sense that every time someone walks around with these yeah. little hand lanterns, yeah, yeah, it's it's its own little every every time it happens, it's almost like its own little ghost story. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I think um, it's uh, it's sort of testament to Evan Bolter, who's our director of photography, that um, that we pulled it off really because we did um, light almost entirely. I think there was a couple of little like extras and fills, but we were lit almost entirely with practicals. So we had a um, great big box of these uh, hand lanterns, yeah. which give off um, with the right camera at the right settings. They give us this lovely kind of uh, I don't know clinical blue sort of hue across across people's faces and. Um, so it's quite a cold light, but quite a kind of unnatural light as well. Mm. And um, we found that by um, hanging them around the room, as the characters would, you know, to kind of light their way, 
um, you just got these wonderful kind of pools of light, but also it just felt really wrong and kind of creepy. And I think everyone associates them with camping, which is always quite temporary. And um, uh, I think it works really well. No, no, I mean, because because obviously these these are concrete structures, so they're they're cold in in of themselves. So yeah, yeah, you're really accentuating that element in in the dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was you know, a lot of the time we were um, we we shot well we shot all over the place really, but we shot at night and during the day. But quite often it was during the day, and you didn't really have to do very much to uh, to get rid of the light and for them to feel like um, you're in some sort of cave. So it was great. No, I mean there was there's one particular um, moment that. Me, me as you know, me as the viewer, mm. sort of forgotten because obviously if this is a boarded up flat, there's no light getting in naturally anyway. Yeah, and I think there's just a, a bit. I don't. I don't remember the the exact context, but they burst out the flat door for whatever reason, and it's daylight. And it's like you as the viewer, you're kind of like, oh Jesus, yeah, it's the, it's it's the flat that's dark, not that it's nighttime. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really good. You know, it's it's um. It's kind of an, an oft-used trope, I guess, but the, the difference between light and dark is, yeah. is really great for horror. And I think, um, uh, no, it's one of my favourite moments as well, because I think uh, you see um, Sean, the actor playing Mark, uh, sort of rush through the flat as if to chase somebody mm-hmm. out to the walkway, which is just empty. And it, you get this lovely kind of long shot where um, you can see all the rest of the boarded up flats. That's great. I think it's really cool. No, and, no, no. That hat's off on that one. It certainly got me. As I, as I say, I think Eben Bolter's he's um, he's a real talent, and well, he's it's no secret he's working a lot at the moment. Um, but he uh, he was you know fantastic at that because it was my ambition to do it with practicals. And um, I spoke to a couple of other people, and they sort of raised an eyebrow. And, really, that's going to look a bit. I don't know. Can we do it, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And Eben was like, "Yeah, let's do it. That'd be great. It'd be so different." He's just you know so enthusiastic from the start, so it's great. Um. So. I mean, you, you, you're you're uh, alluding to some of the challenges there of, of 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 the production itself. So, what what presented you as the director then with with um, the biggest challenges? Do you think? Um, what, well, not all of them, obviously. Don't need to list all your challenges. But what what do you remember specifically about trying to take from the script and put into put onto film that you uh, thought, no, this this is where I'm going to have to earn my a corn, as it were. Yeah, quite a few things, <laughs> weirdly, because some. Um, when you're working on a restricted budget, um, uh, everyone found this. Yeah, all the HODs find that that more and more kind of rests on your shoulders. So for me, I, I felt I, I needed to trust the script, and that meant um, uh, taking the characters that I knew, having written it, and really sort of finding ways to be able to explain it to actors and to um, crew as well, but mainly sort of actors, so yeah. that um, they had a really clear understanding, not just of the kind of mechanics of story, which I think is sort of um, crucial for a director to know but also just to really be able to get under the skin of people so that in the subtext of any scene you're kind of able to really put your finger on the nail and say that is this is what this scene is doing it it it's um it should feel like this character saying this to this other character and that won't be what the dialogue is about but it might be for example um well what my favorite scene i should i should say and it's sort of it doesn't give anything away i don't think and i, I won't give anything away but um there's just a really nice scene between um, uh, so Tommy and his dad, Mark, where they rush up the stairs and back into the flat, Tommy having thought he'd seen somebody there. Um, and the dad goes in and he comes out and they have this really heated exchange um, on the walkway. And it's in the middle of the night and it's all done in one take. And what they're talking about is, is the sort of practicals of what they've been through, um, which is that Tommy has left some money in the flat and he should never have gone out and left the money in the flat. 
but actually what the father is saying to the to Tommy is I don't get you at all you're you're supposed to be my son but you're nothing like me you're a wimp you're you're uh, sort of wrapped up in a ball you're an enigma and I don't understand you um how are you how can you be like that and not you know be like me you came from me sort of thing and I think actors absolutely love that stuff um but it really it gives them something to wrestle with and something to bring alive so so there was that side of it which was I guess the kind of um yeah directing the drama really kind of bringing out character uh, bringing out emotion how, how did you collaborate with the actors then to sort of to to get that out to get that out of them or to give them the free give them the permission to do it as it were whichever way around it was uh i i don't know how other directors work really i mean uh, other than what i've kind of seen in documentaries and things but um we uh predominantly probably blocked scenes before choosing camera angles so that meant that we would get all the actors in and um, I would talk to them about it and then we would run lines and we'd walk around and we'd find what the character would be holding or doing or the way he'd be moving. And then you kind of bring cameras in and go, right, we're going to shoot from here, we're going to shoot from here, we're going to shoot from here. And that was really, that's not actually the way my kind of brain works normally as a kind of visual aesthetic. But because we were shooting handheld for pretty much every single shot and because we wanted it to have this kind of borderline kind of documentary feel and we wanted it to be loose and um and kind of just just naturalistic it really suited it because you you're you're sort of um working on the back foot slightly to you know visual is is delivering story rather than um rather than kind of style if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so there's there's that side of it um and then but talking about kind of directing the other side of it um obviously is delivering the scares which is interesting because that I had planned a little bit in my head and then as we sort of, you can only really truly do it I think once you get into the space and you work out where the, what the geography of the rooms is and um, what you can hide, what you can show, how you can sort of play the action in a space. Um, as I said, this, we had this, this lovely thing of the stairs going down. We, his room was very specific um, and there's there's a few things that we did. Um, most of our tricks, I think, are in camera, if that makes sense. So they so we we did a lot of heavily kind of choreographed scenes that might be long takes where suddenly somebody pops up in vision and then when the camera turns away, they crouch down and when you, the camera looks back, they've gone again, sort of thing. <laughs> being brutal, being uh, being very honest. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, no, that's really interesting. But it's uh, but it's it's a sort of yeah, it's, I guess it's the old-fashioned way of kind of doing these things. There's a few kind of special effects in there, but but um, we we didn't really want it to be that kind of film. Um, so there was yeah, directing the kind of drama was one thing which I, I enjoyed probably much more as a as a uh, uh, first-time kind of feature film director. That was the thing I really really enjoyed more than I thought I would. I found it um, I found it really rewarding, and I know that the actors, um, or at least they told me they did anyway. I know that they really enjoyed it, and are really proud of it and I think it is a really great kind of uh, performance film and it sort of had to be in retrospect um, uh, for you to kind of buy into these characters but um, there's a really nice mix of people and I think we got the most out of them. No without a doubt I think I think that that kind of um, resentment that seems to exist between the father to his son as, and, and that brilliance of the child's sort of unconditional love of a parent yeah, you know, it, it, it's that 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 vulnerability shown shown brilliantly, and and yeah, also yeah. 
the unlikely pairing of the of the of the two the two children and with her being that bit older than him yeah no i totally agree i mean it's it's an interesting story really um about tommy because he was um initially supposed to be a bit younger um he was supposed to be so at the moment he's kind of 14 on screen um whereas when we had first started writing we thought he'd be 12 sort of just a bit younger um more like a boy i suppose Mm. and um what we found was uh that uh, firstly we struggled to find somebody who could really deliver for us um and secondly we were just getting these really really interesting um uh actors who were kind of slightly older just a couple of years older and that if you got it right you'd get a kind of very interesting dynamic because you can be 14 and still be a boy <laughs> um which some of us know really well yeah. uh, you uh and and um, if you cast the right female lead next to that, you get the same but slightly different dynamic, which is, I think, in the case of um, the Tommy and Carmen relationship on screen, so that's our two kind of young leads, um, at, that you get a kind of thing where Tommy, uh, I think, fancies Carmen quite a bit. I think he looks up to her, and it's not entirely platonic for him that that he... No, he's got fourteen year old hormones. I think there's that. I think this doesn't spoil anything. I don't think. There's a wonderful bit where she goes for a fag break, and yeah, he sort of stood there like a spare part. You know, long after she's finished the conversation, and she could have told him to jump off a building at that point. I think. Yeah, yeah, and And there's a couple of really nice scenes. I think where they um, where they sit in uh, Tommy's flat together and have a bit of a smoke and talk honestly, and uh, you feel this real tension because you know that Tommy's sort of thinking what's going to happen? What's going to happen? He's, he's totally out of his depth and Carmen's completely in control of it. And is uh, uh, sort of asking funny questions of him that makes him, you know, blush and all that sort of stuff. So we, it really worked well, you know, we, our, um, I should mention our, um, our casting uh, director, Daniel Edwards, because um, it's no secret. Our, our budget wasn't very big. So um, it was, it was really kind of do this for the passion and help us out. And which he really, really did. And, mm-hmm. Finding Tommy was the hardest thing in the world because, um, as I say, we sort of we looked at young guys and Daniel. I mean, bless him. He brought in, I think, like we did sets of ten boys and he brought in like three sets wow. over the course of a day. So we looked at thirty boys and some of them were good and some of them were interesting. And but you just knew that we weren't going to get this sort of level of reality because it's really hard to find. Um, young boys who have the craft of acting uh, nailed enough um, to be able to deliver if they're not that character. And then if you're looking for somebody who actually is that character, um, it's, you know, it's, it's one in two million people or whatever. It's like you're really, really looking in a needle in a haystack. Um, so then, and then we had to go really far afield to find Clem. And I, I, um, I went for him because um, he, was, he was that character, actually. He was, he was really, really close to it. Um, and I think what you see on screen is um, Carmen, you know, who's played by Ellerica Gallica. She she had done actually. She was in um, Harry Potter and she was in um, uh, Chat Room, Hideo Nakata film, and she was in uh, EastEnders. So she'd done these sort of uh, a lot of gigs. She knew her she knew her body language. She knew how to control herself and she knew how to sort of perform to the camera. And Clem had been, um, had done lots of work as a child actor. He'd been in Doctor Who and things, but hadn't acted for a little while. I think, I think it's fair to say, I don't think I'm um, upsetting him by saying that. Um, and he, um, so we went with somebody who sort of had, didn't have to try to be somebody else quite so much. <laughs> um, 
and who, you know, when you push them, you're just going to get something honest. My, a lot of my direction was kind of sort of making people quieter and just having them not perform so much, not kind of project, which I think is a natural instinct when you're saying words that aren't your own. Um, and what you'd get is just these magic things from Clem. He, you know, just make you cry because when he said a line about how lonely he was or, you know, um, uh, how upset he was with his dad or whatever, you, you know, you really felt for the guy. Um, no, there's a, there's a love, lovely um, sort of contrast between the sort of vulnerability that he shows when he's with his dad, and then there's a there's a point at which he's he's on his own for a bit, and yet he seems so much stronger. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like in the presence of his dad, he shows that to be the boy, and then obviously, without his dad there, it's uh, he tries he, he obviously tries to man up, which I thought was a nice contrast on screen. Yeah, and I think um, you know, like I said, that that conversation that I had with the with the actors about their scene up on the walkway, it's a it's a reciprocal thing. So Tommy doesn't understand his dad either; he's confused by it, and mm. he can feel the kind of resentment and anger that his dad gives him. Um, uh, his dad's a fighter; he's somebody who's stood up for things his whole life and fought his way through and battled, and he's ended up where he's ended up. And Tommy is, we always said, more like his mum. So he's he's a bit more introverted, a bit quieter, a bit more of a thinker. And where his dad kind of exploded outwards, he kind of went inwards. So I think it's, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, there's a lot of that that we talked about. Ultimately, actors have to deliver and um, bring it alive. And they did such a good job. I think um, Sean, particularly, he's just, um, Sean Dingwall, who plays Mark, He's he was great because um, when he's off camera, he was doing a lot of directing of Clem through his performance. Oh. So, um and that was that was um, I don't mean in the kind of he's waving his arms getting him to do things I just mean he's um, he's gifting him emotion he's leaving gaps he's he's you know working him up he's as much you know as much of his performance is about delivering something for, on Clem's side as well as on his side yeah because uh, a lot of the film does rest on Clem so I guess yeah I guess yeah. him being the more experienced actor would would see the benefit I guess as much as anything else yeah, and we were, as I say, it was, it was great really because we, um, the first place that we shot, so day one was was onto the estate and we shot in quite a few other places as well but we had, I think, like nine or ten days um, off the bat where we just got to the estate and started and right from the off, we had this lovely kind of positive atmosphere and I think I put it down to a number of things but like Jen did a great job. We, we, um, we set up kind of a unit base in uh, what, what was a kind of community space, like a, a canteen kind of area, this big open plan, um, slightly smelly uh, uh, hall. Um, and it was kind of like being in film school. It was great because everybody set up their little space. So makeup had the space, wardrobe had the space, the actors had a little hangout area. There was a cafe sort of thing where we had teas and coffees and things. Um, the, uh, the, the DIT or the DIT or whatever you want to call it, he had a space where he was always kind of, um, working on um, transferring footage and stuff and camera department had their little space and it was sort of like it was very professional but at the same time it felt like we were kind of back to um, film school it was, it was lovely and then I think everybody just bought into that and we we had sort of uh, a positive experience um, from the top which you know you don't always get <laughs> I think that must be how Gem works I just come like I say off, off, off the podcast I just come off set for um, a film she was producing called Native and I could definitely say that was the there was a lot of a lot of positive vibes going on and lots of goodwill 
Absolutely. No, Jen, Jen's amazing. She's brilliant, um, which is no secret. I think people are sort of starting to realise this now. Um, no, she, she, uh, she and I talked about it in the run-up to the shoot and when we were starting to pick our HADs and she said very openly, to be honest, you know, um, I don't really want to work with people that are, not, <laughs> that are horrible to turn up and see in the morning. I thought, I, I want a nice crew. And I said, yep, I want a nice crew as well. So that was that, you know. And that's not to say we just picked the nicest people. We picked people who we thought were brilliant. But, um, but... It did really show, I think, you know, there were no, lots of hugs yeah, and a lot I of love. Uh, I, say, I think that, well, that's come across in the film, and I think that also, I guess, given you were relying so much on the performances, it's going to it's going to help give the foundation for people to do a good job in front of the camera as well, isn't it, I guess? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And and the other thing to say, I suppose, is that we shot incredibly quickly. Um, that does make a real difference, because if people get flustered, um, if they don't have enough time to do their work, and everybody, well, nobody had enough time to... You never have enough time to do your job properly, but you know, it, it's that thing of um, giving people the space to do the work, and then other people helping out if they need, a, you know, just to, to get that foot up over the over the fence or whatever. Um, but but to do it with positivity, I think you get so much more done. And um, so yeah, we we shot for what like uh, fifteen days, mm -hmm. really really quick. Obviously, like a couple of weeks. Um, uh, we were able to to work that quickly because we were handheld, and as I say, we lit practically, so that that makes a big difference. But the majority of why we were able to do it is because everybody was happy and could, you know sort of convinced that they were doing good work. It didn't mean people were turning up in the morning going, "Oh God, you know this is just going to be awful." People were really excited. We thought we were doing something quite exciting. So excellent, excellent. Now, um, the Fright Fest audience is arguably as famous as the films that Frightfest shows now. <laughs> yeah. Um, as you've been part of it and as now you're going to be showing it. What, yeah. what, are you, what are you most excited to experience seeing your film with a Frightfest audience? Or is there anything that you, any aspect, I mean, you've talked about some of the bits you've enjoyed, that you enjoyed the outcomes from, yeah. from so far, but is there anything particular about what you're hoping to see from the audience seeing your film for the first time? Um, I, I I don't know. I, I, what I'm really looking forward to is um, I'm hoping I'm going to get a chance to do this. I'm not sure I am actually because there's various kind of media walls and things that I'm going to have to do. But um, the um, I'm, I, I like sitting in a room and watching it with people. Weirdly, I have this. I know some directors kind of hate this, but I I can feel sort of the vibe in the room. And every time I've shown it to people, it's been slightly different. So sometimes you get one screening where. The vibe is very much about how scary it is, and people have, people come out and they're really kind of going, "Oh God, that was really scary," and they sort of unclench, you know, as they walk out. And some people come out and they're really, really moved, and it, it's just been that kind of—I don't know if it's like the levels of the sound or the ambience of the lighting, you know, on the escape, um, on the emergency exits or something. But but it, yeah, it sort of seems to change every time. So I'm looking forward to to seeing sort of how it feels in the room, if that makes sense. It's no, quite an no, odd no. kind of ethereal thing to say, but. Oh, yeah. I, I I think that's the uh, that's that's the big measure of any of any film, like like you say. I mean, it's, it's seeing it on the big screen, and then whatever emotion gets released on the way out is because because the, there is a tendency to go with a group thing, isn't there? You know, people people in a room act together, even though yeah. for the large part you're quiet. But there is the bits where people are maybe going to gasp, people are maybe going to laugh. You know, it's that kind of thing, and that will set a tone going on throughout the movie, won't it? So when it ends, people will have a kind of cat let off one way or the other. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, I think if um, if the audience uh, end up laughing at the end um, and sort of rolling around on the floor laughing, I, I'll, I'll be slightly confused, but that's all fine, you know, whatever. <laughs> Um, no, don't, I, don't be too I, pessimistic. I was just using I was just using extreme examples. It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't to insinuate. <laughs> no, no. I, you know, you, you, you make a film, and first and foremost, you kind of you, you you're obviously aware of what other people think. And film is a, a a mechanism to communicate, so it has to has to do something to people. But ultimately, you have to make the film that you want to make, and the film that you would want to watch. And as I say, you know, when James and I first started talking about it, and conversations uh, over the treatment with Jen and stuff that was that was always our primary concern was you know did do we love it because if we don't love it it's going to be very hard to kind of justify it to people um and we um I, I feel really proud of the film I think it sort of um stands alone and sort of over delivers for what it is uh I think it is moving and I like films that kind of that, that give you a, a proper experience you know an emotional experience um and so it definitely does that. No, no, no. I think, you know, whenever anyone steps back to think about any horror movies, the first complaint most people have is that I didn't care about the characters, everybody was cliched. You know, those kind of things tend to be what people list first, you know, the first things that they kind of feel aggravated about, whereas they're not going to be able to say that about your film. I think that's, you know, you're... you're it's it's a believe it's a believable world in 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 the sense you know you can say that about something that ends up going supernatural, because yeah. the characters are complex and they do things that are true to character and, and the interactions between them help to make the whole feel very plausible. Certainly from my perspective as a as an audience member. Yeah, well that's good. And you know the interesting thing I guess is that it's always so subjective. It's um. Uh, what feels real to one person doesn't feel real to another person. But also, if we sort of search our hearts as horror fans, I think there's there are films that you could level tons of criticism at, but which we all absolutely love. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> there's kind of no hard and fast rules, which is lovely, and uh, it's one of the things that I love about horror. I think it's just, you know, I'm not going to name names because that would be awful if I got quoted on it sometime. But I just, you know, I, well, I look, that's it. that's almost a segue. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, now, no, that's the great thing. It's just you know you can um, uh, none of the rules really apply. Ultimately, you know if you if you're determined to criticise something, you can always find something. Oh, so. not that. I mean, look, it's all yeah. subjective in the end. I mean, it's like putting a record, isn't it? N nothing, nothing you can do for an audience member who's determined not to like something Absolutely. is going to change yeah. their mind. As much as I can tell you, this record's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and you listen to it, and you go, "That's eternal nonsense." It's kind of we all bring our own things to it, and yeah. that's kind of, you know. And what what is the best record ever recorded? What is the best record ever recorded? Slayer, Rain in Blood. Oh, okay. okay. Or, or Revolver by the Beatles. So, you know. Okay. I'd go Revolver. I, I'd actually, no, I'd go um, Pet Sounds, the Beach Boys. <laughs> all go. right, so, well, look, um, we at Britflix like to get recommendations as well as talk about other people's films and being a British-focused website. I'd like to get your recommendation of a British horror film that you feel is grossly underrated and maybe deserves a bit more kudos. Uh, let me have a think. That's an interesting one. Uh, do you know what? Um, uh, I'm going to say... You're going to laugh because, <laughs> because my producer made it. But um, Devil's Business is okay. great. Which which I know is kind of last year's. Uh, no, was it last year? No, no, it's, no, it's a few years. Wasn't it? Two thousand eleven. Um, 
that's that was really enjoyable. And I think, uh, you know, I suppose came out. We we sort of shot at about the time it came out, um, or I think I went to see it just just a few weeks before because yeah, we shot in October two thousand eleven, which is a long time oh, ago. No, no, it maybe come out. Did it come out two thousand? Well, I saw it at France Fest. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, well, but, I, I saw it after Fright. Yeah, that two thousand ten. Then that isn't it, Fright Fest. Oh, let's not, let's not get one to look up. Names. It's one to look up. I think it would be two thousand eleven. But that sounds um, more right to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but no, I just uh, what I like about it is it's about character. So it was, it was. Um, I thought really bold to um, just start with two people in a room talking uh, and to really pull that off. And to have a first 10 minutes, which doesn't have uh, somebody kind of running into the room and like bleeding everywhere or, you know, having a car crash or something like that. It's two men sneaking into a house in the dead of night with something that they have to do. So there's a real tension to it all and just telling each other a story. And I think that I found that really impressive. And, I, you know, I did have um, sort of unfair. To, I, I did have uh uh, questions about the the sort of uh, end of the film and the way it sort of played out, but I thought it was really really bold film and really great. And um, you know, Sean did a really good job with that, and so did Jen, um, Sean Hogan. Well, you'd be glad to know I, I share your enthusiasm for that film. I did a uh, twenty best horror films, British horror films you should watch. Yeah, and, and I included that one. Good, because yeah. uh, for the reason, I mean, I think it's I think it's a lot about what the way your your film structured and. I'd say something like uh, Kill List is the same, where a film starts and it clearly feels like one genre. Mm. And as the film develops, it tells, it says to you, no, I'm not. Yeah. And there's nothing, you, you've got no choice in that matter now, so you've got to go with where it's going. And, and, and that can be satisfying, that cannot be satisfying. But the fact is, that's, the, that's what makes it a challenging watch. Like you say, if a film arrives and goes, I'm a horror film, and yeah. then it goes off and is a horror film, then you're kind of like, okay, you better be yeah. good. It's a different kind of joy, isn't it? You're on a yeah. well-trodden path, and you kind of all the all the signifiers are there. So you're like, "Oh, I'm just going to enjoy this." I sort of know where it's going, and I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the ride. Mm. And yeah, we um, uh, forgotten is is slightly different to that. I think we sort of try and well, we I know we did because I made it. <laughs> we tried to upfront something that felt very horror at the beginning, so that we were sort of saying to people, "Hang, just bear with us while we set this all up and um, allow us to do the slow burn thing, please." Um, uh, by by doing something a little bit sort of scary up front, and then and then just took our time and kind of like you say transition slowly. And we did a lot of work in the script, but also in the edit actually to to try and um, make that sort of feel smooth and not like uh, a kind of dust till dawn. You know, turn on a dime. Suddenly we're into a vampire <laughs> film, um, uh, and it's it's trickier than it sounds. You know, you sort of. Um, you, you juggle things around and you play with sound design and you sort of, uh, yeah, have to do lots of work to do it. Right. So, do, do you have an official release date yet? No, we're, we were entirely independent in the making of the film. So it was, um, it was funded partly by myself and partly by other people who came in on the, uh, the, um, the idea. And, um, so, uh, so we're using Frightfest hopefully as a platform to sell. So we'll be looking forward to speaking to people about it. Excellent. We've had lots of interest so far. Actually, no, it's no, been no, no, been great. No. Just from the fact we're into Fright Fest, which I think speaks volume about you know how great the festival is and how it's perceived by the industry. It's really no, cool. No, without a doubt, no, I think it yeah. hopefully puts you in a very strong position. Um, so, just remind us then: when when yeah. can people see it? 
And where? So, yeah, yeah, you can see it. It's going to be Friday evening, which is uh, a lovely slot. Um, 6.15, and that's at the View Leicester Square um, on August the 22nd. Brilliant. Well, I'd, I'd recommend if people aren't struck by the main screen event at that time that they go and check it out. I would too. It's brilliant, I've heard. <laughs> Thank you very much. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's podcast. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's podcast. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co.